Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde. I'm excited to have my good buddy, Tim Detellis, with us uh, from New Missions and a couple other things that he does as well, and he'll get into that in just a minute. But the reason we're having people outside of the Lehigh Valley uh, specific uh, is because one of the things I've, I think is really important in this season is to learn from those who are experiencing COVID, racial unrest, and all kinds of things that we're experiencing here in the Valley. But to hear from their perspective, what they're learning, what they're seeing, what, what is it that God has them on in that journey? The other part is that these uh, people, these men and women have influenced me deeply to the, the point of affecting my vision for the Valley in my life and beyond. And I think it's important for you to hear from them. And then the last thing is just, I have a lot of questions about life and leadership. And I think it's selfish to take all those lessons to, to myself and keep them to myself. I think it's better to hit the record button and to let people in on those conversations. And so this is my attempt to do that. And so I'm so excited for you to, to hear from my good friend, Tim us. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and all the things you're involved in. Well, thanks, Joseph. Uh, greetings to you from Eustis, Florida. Uh, love your vision for the Valley. Uh, I serve as president of New Missions. It's a nonprofit that's been working in Haiti in the Dominican Republic since 1983. And uh, we are all about establishing local churches and schools and communities across that island, uh, but also effectively raising up leaders to run them and serve in their country. So it's been an amazing journey. And I grew up in Haiti. I first moved there when I was 11 years old. But then here in the U.S., I travel and speak and represent our organization across the country uh, at different events and conferences and churches. So I, I do some speaking for that. And then here in Eustis, uh, I love being the good neighbor to our community and trying to advocate on behalf of being good neighbors that help make great neighborhoods in our area. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell Tell us a little bit about the book you wrote too, Tim, because you wrote a book about being a good neighbor. So can you just share that for, for, yeah, the, for yeah, the title of the book is uh, good neighbors make great neighborhoods mm-hmm. may where you live be better because of you. And I believe that we can have a great influence on the street in which we live. And I think it's also more than ever so timely in our culture that we do need more togetherness. And that's really the premise of the book. Oh, so good, man. It is a great read, great book. And Tim and I have known each other for a while now, several years of, of doing life together. He's been a huge encourager to me, uh, really helping me even get a vision for what they're doing at new, with New Missions. And I feel like the lessons that uh, New Missions has to offer on a lot of different levels is really, really important for our own personal leadership and even how we work with others. And so what I wanted to ask you as we start just diving into this is what lessons can we take away in seeing communities restored from the new missions work? Yeah. One of the impacts new missions has witnessed is because of longevity. So we've been in Haiti 37 years going on 38 years. And what that does, it gives you time to invest in people. Um, That is really the value that you bring to a community is how you raise up leaders 
nurturing them, developing them, but then empowering them to make an impact in their community long-term. It's not about giving aid that's short-term, that's a consumable, like whether we're giving away food, although we do prepare over 2 million meals a year through our schools, it's for children that are on a path of development and change. And I think that's really been uh, one of the great observations and reflections for our organization in over three decades is longevity and the influence of investing in people. And that really brings long-term change to a community. Well, so good. And I I don't want you to miss that because I think sometimes we want the short like burst, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, let's, let's serve in this moment. But I love how you were saying since 1983, you guys have been there. That's a long time. That's a very, very long time. That's almost as long as I've been alive. I, I was born in 1980. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking, you know, almost 40 years. And I think yeah. so many times we undersell the value of going the long distance. You know, faithfulness has become uh, such an unattractive quality for so many, but it's the thing that actually produces fruitfulness over time. So when you're faithful over time, it produces this, this fruitfulness that we want to see. And I love even the way New Missions has laid out the, the mindset of what they've done to, to go into those communities. Because what they do is they specifically work with these children, you know, and families. And, and so tell us a little bit about that process. Like how did, you know, you mentioned, you know, a bit of, hey, the, the overview, the macro level of it. But what does sure. it look like for you guys to walk alongside a family and, you know, yeah, from so, the earliest part, to, you know, through the journey. Yeah. So our vision is to raise a generation of Christian leaders, but our mission is to change the life of a child. And then the method to accomplish that is by establishing local churches and schools. So we come alongside a family or a parent and in Haiti, uh, a lot of homes, majority of them are single parent homes where the, parent will enroll the child in our school for a free education. And then that's the beginning of change for that life of that child. So they come to our mission school and they receive a free Christian education, food and medical care. But the most important component to that is the consistency over time. Because in the third world, typically like when we first arrived in Haiti, you know, education is not free in the country, but in a typical Haitian family, they would only have one child attend school and typically it was the eldest male. And so, and then that may not be consistent because they may run into a crisis, a death or an illness, and then they couldn't afford to pay tuition. So that child would drop out and maybe skip a few years. So when we arrived, we were enrolling children in kindergarten in the first grade that were eight and nine years old that never had been to school. Now we were beginning with, you know, four or five-year-olds that are beginning school at proper ages. But because of that consistency, Joseph, it really brings rapid change into their lives. And then the entire family is enriched because all the children can attend school. And then that leads to employment and local leadership. So that's really important because I think one of the things that I noticed when I was there and I've been able to visit, we actually sponsor a child, Jerry. He's getting so big now. Um, but it was such a gift to see because – I love the, the mindset. The mindset is, hey, we're going to set up a, a place where we get to walk alongside children and families and walk with them towards what Jesus has for them. And that was through education, meals, um, health care, the church mm-hmm. that you guys are starting. So I love that even, too, that there's a school 
and then right. with the school, it's a church, and they're in Haiti in the Dominican Republic. So how many, how many uh, schools and churches do you guys have? So today we have 35 campuses with a church and school on that campus. Um, in addition, we also have a high school campus in Haiti and a Bible college campus. Um, and then we have our main mission campus, which is our warehouse facility and logistics. Um, but what's really unique, you mentioned about that model, the combination, it's very holistic because you're helping with the mind, body, and spirit, but they're able to access that at the same place. And so there's a lot of continuity. There's a lot of trust. And then the leadership is 100% local. So they're all Haitian or Dominican leaders on that campus serving. And what that brings um, is actually a component that most people in, I would call it in the nonprofit world overseas battle. And that is um, integration of trust to that culture. So it's not me per se doing the work. It's empowering somebody local who has the influence and the trust with their community. And that really brings um, a, not only a bond, but it really brings an ownership to the mission, which we really see has helped us um, stay in Haiti long-term and also have a, a, a deeper influence in those communities. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch. It's one of the, my favorite things when I talk about new missions <laughs> to people and, and I'm like championing like, Hey, new missions, new missions. And, and the reason I'm a big fan of it is because unlike many other models, it's again, it's long, it has a long view, which I think is mm -hmm. very, very important Two, it's built on the people that are there. So the goal isn't to come in and like, have the, the white Superman complex that oftentimes right. happens in communities when we're trying to help. So we have this rescuer mindset versus no, we're collaborating together. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have a part to play and you have a part to play and I want to work with you to, so that the work can actually move forward, but it can't move forward if it's limited by me because trust takes mm -hmm. time to build. And there's something beautiful about watching people who look like you rise up, from the ranks, you know, some of these people go on to be nurses, teachers, uh, principals, pastors. I mean, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, the percentage of the amount of people that are indigenous towards the work that's going on there right. versus those who are non-indigenous involved in logistics or helping out. Tell us that, that statistic, because I think it's beautiful. I mean, I yeah. get chills every time <laughs> I think about it. So, so, so it's probably 99 Point nine eight percent because in Haiti we have one American on the ground and then the Dominican we have one American although she married a, a Dominican and so uh, they're a, a beautiful family there now and so all of our staff there's 500 in Haiti and 100 in the Dominican that are all Haitian and Dominican so um, we I guess in the U.S. there's nine of us in Orlando that serve in the U.S. side you know, we're really what I call the funding model. You know, we're out advocating and raising funds to empower the field. So we work for them. And then that allows all of the national staff in Haiti and the Dominican to really fulfill the mission. And so, you know, we're really the spokespeople advocating on behalf. And what's really beautiful about the model is it allows both sides to do what they do best and in their area of influence and relationship. Oh, man. And I love that. Like, because I do think that is the other part of nonprofit world that gets missed. It's usually like we're so focused on one side or the other that you right. don't have a really a chance to move it forward long term. So like you're yeah. always kind of scratching the bottom of the barrel or you don't have the right people in the right seats. But this model 
which is so beautiful. It's 99.9% indigenous people on the ground, which I love. Right. And then on the other side, people running logistics and fundraising and advocating are, are stateside and they're leveraging those partnerships because you need both. You need both right. to see something run well. And I think that oftentimes is missed. A lot of times we pick or choose um, one or the other and say, oh, this is more important than the other. But no, actually they work together as a cohesive unit uh, because we, we need both of those things in order to be effective organizationally. So if you're listening to this and you're an organizational leader and you're trying to figure out, hey, what is it that I should focus in on? Well, first of all, I love how Tim can clearly define the vision, the mission, and really what it is that they're using mm -hmm. to see that accomplished. So, right, so really yeah. the, the why behind the what, and then the how, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah, the, the vision, why. mission and method, right? And I think it's so important because if you can't define that, it's difficult to know what you're going after, but then really are you prioritizing the raising up of others who are in those communities? One of the things we want to do here at Riverbend is, I want to see indigenous church planters from these communities. I'm originally mm -hmm. from Atlanta, but I want to see more people from Pennsylvania. Both, but I think you need to see it go more on that 70 to 80% of indigenous people here. Like just to see the, the trust, the relationships, the understanding of the culture and the context uh, build up. But also the other part of that is just on the organizational side of it is like, are you freeing people to do the, the work that God's called them to? and not getting in their way, but really right. helping them and then doing your part in that process. And so Tim, man, I, I know you, you're hearing my excitement because I get so fired up whenever we talk about this because I'm like, man, this is so I love good. <laughs> I'm like telling people about you. I'm like, do you know about new missions? I'm telling like leaders that I'm talking about. This is a model you should study. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I tell them often and, and, and partnering and working together because I think so much is missed right now even as we think about whether it's new missions and coming in and, and providing, you know, relief for in third world countries or even uh, relief for a lot of the things that we're experiencing as a, as a country, like with the mm -hmm. coronavirus, racial unrest, presidential election, really it stems around building relationships, doesn't it? I mean, it, it really yes. comes down to that. And I, I think that is so missed too in these conversations because we can talk so much about, you know, the us versus them mindset when really it's just us. It's not us versus them. It's just us, you know, and I, and I think that we, we so often miss that. So as we think about this, I wanted to ask you, you know, Tim, like how, how have you, you know, sought to, to raise up the leaders, you know, from Haiti and the Dominican Republic? How, how have you guys sought to do that? You know, I know again, a bit about the process, but Sure. It, that's a great question. And the, the, the simple answer is opportunity. And I believe leadership is all about giving people opportunity to step into a role and then grow in that position. So we give people opportunities. I'll give you an example. In Haiti, uh, one of our pastors who's now pastoring the very first church that we planted in 1983, his first job at New Missions was writing letters and translating those letters from, from a child to their sponsor. So at a school, he was hired to sit with the child and the child would write a letter to you and Amy, and he would be the translator. Wow. And that was his first job. 
But today he's the pastor of that church and he grew up in that school. He started going to school there when he was four years old, but that one first job opportunity, it's like, you know, none of us forget our first job, right? It was like, Oh my gosh, I have responsibility. I have identity, I have responsibility. And that's what that is. Giving people opportunity um, is the first step. But the second is surrounding them with mentors. So like that pastor, Yagil, um, his mentor was pastor Gilliam, who was a pastor of ours who began in our first decade. And he's, you know, obviously older, uh, more experienced. And so we, we do partner people up with mentoring and someone on the ground who could not just hold them accountable, but give them some perspective because they've already traveled that road. Um, and, and that's where I think a lot of our development and, you know, in most cultures lack um, culture is actually taught and learned more through emulation and what you see and, you know, it's like the, the grandfather being the, uh, you know, the mentor and helping to apprentice the young grandson on how to build a fence. And how did you learn to build a fence from your grandfather? It wasn't that he, you know, necessarily showed you a YouTube video back in the day. He took <laughs> you on the farm and you went alongside him, right? And so alongside your grandfather, you learned to build a fence. And then it wasn't the first summer that you figured it out. It was like the fifth summer you finally got the trade, right? And I think that's life. We, we need to come alongside people and we need to invite people to come alongside us. Mm, so good. I think that what you said is spot on. I mean, that's my experience. And, you know, I recently was reconciled with my father um, mm. back in 2009 uh, and, and what a gift it's been. But one of the things that you learn very early on is um, when you look at people's stories, if someone hasn't been given opportunity, and when I say mm -hmm. opportunity, a lot of times people are like, well, no, like they've got to create their own opportunity. Well, most of us never create our own opportunity. Someone actually right. opens an opportunity for us. Uh, and I think that's important to note. Like, yes, we have to walk through the opportunity. You know, like Tim told me about new missions, said, hey, Joe, you want to come to Haiti sometime? He opened an opportunity, but I had to right. book a flight. You know, we had to work together. Sure. To get Absolutely. But, but we need people who are going to open opportunities for us. And not, it's not enough to just open opportunities. I think what you said is so important about mentorship and even apprenticeship. There is, that, that is a lost thing in our culture that I wish we mm -hmm. could discover and rediscover again. Um, and so much of that is needed both on a, you know, family side of things, but also in a vocation side of things. I, you know, I was thinking about this with my brother-in-law who's, you know, my, my father-in-law passed away in 2011 and um, we were just talking about the gift of apprenticeship. I was like, think about this, because mm -hmm. you know, he was talking about the fatherlessness in communities and cultures. And I said, you know, there, this is what happens though, when there's such a gap of mm. opportunity being opened up, first of all, right? Like you talked about. And then as single parent homes happen, you know, to have this mentor provided, how do you bridge that gap? Well, mentors, apprentice do that. But one of the things he learned from his father was about auto mechanic work. You know, my, mm. my father-in-law owned a, a body shop and, you know, and now my, my brother-in-law's two sons, they're, they're taking on a lot of the things that he, how did they learn all that? They didn't just learn it. <laughs> like right. by watching YouTube videos to your point. No, they learned it by watching. They learned it because he, he brought them with them. And I think we collectively need to be thinking about who are the opportunities that we could who, what are the opportunities and who are the opportunities we could provide for people mm. wherever we're leading, whether in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our vocations, that principle translates across the board. And then mentoring, 
are you willing to be a person to shoulder life lessons together with others? Like sharing those life lessons, um, helping people unburden what they're going, going through, giving perspective, showing them skills, taking them to opportunities or, or events that you're going to, bringing them along, you know, because I think that that is so missed. And, and right now in our culture, there's a, a lack of apprenticing going on, but also there's a lack of people that even know what that is. So like mm. I'll talk to a guy, I had a conversation recently with a guy who was an HVAC company. He's like, I'm having a hard time finding people apprenticed with me. Like, mm. and, and what does that say? Well, it says it's not really promoted and lifted up the way it should be. And then secondly, it, it means people don't understand what it even means. Like to be an apprentice is such a gift. And yes, it may mean you go slower, but you go slower to go faster, you know, because you, you really want to be built up in this. And I love how you guys have, have done that, Tim, like really that idea of opportunity and mentorship. And it's so beautiful to watch that. So as we think about that, I wanted to ask you, how can we develop ourselves and the, the people in our communities to be the leaders they're intended to be? So developing people, it's interesting. Um, it's a, it's a personal ambition for you and me to always be an endless learner. And so developing people in general comes down to an environment of learning. So like at New Missions internally, we have seven behavioral values. Uh, one of them that we have as a team is we are humble and teachable because we are endless learners and we value the input from others. Well, that allows us to continuously improve as leaders because if we, if we are arrogant and think we've already figured it out and know it all, then we, we've stopped growing. And so for any leader, any person, and we're all leaders, you know, whether you're a home educator, whether you're in the workforce, whether you're in, you know, a situation of customer service, no matter the, the, the avenue and with all due respect to leadership, you know, leadership is not a title. That's right. It's actually an attitude you have towards serving others. And so the posture you take each day is, you know, how can I be the best version of myself and use the God-given gifts that God gave me? I'm not really competing with anybody. I'm just trying to be the best me possible. But at the end of the day, you become better as a leader by being an endless learner. And my goal is to learn from everyone, you know, and, and, and a lot of variety of sources of content. To me, obviously, you know, the Bible and God's word is the ultimate truth, but there's other sources that you, you know, you listen to different podcasts, you read books, you, you go to seminars. And, and I think also you, you have what I call virtual mentors. Uh, I was actually up late last night watching a video from a, a virtual mentor of mine. Um, and, you know, you go, I've never met this guy. He'll, he'll never know me, <laughs> but, but I'll consume whatever I can about you know, his thinking. And I think that's what's important in life is, is be proactive to be an endless learner and that'll develop your leadership. Yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the things I appreciate about Tim too is, and it's missed oftentimes the lost art of getting outside of your echo chamber and an echo chamber, mm. just yeah. agreement, you know, because agreement's like, Oh, I, I think this, therefore it is, you know, and you, Oh, you yeah. think that too. Oh, okay, cool. But change doesn't happen that way. Changing who we are, right. changing our culture and our community communities. And I think that whether you're learning from a virtual mentor or even, I love how, you know, you've, you've done your podcast. You have a couple of different, tell, tell us those two podcasts that you have that you're, you're doing. Yeah. So, so well, I've taken a little break uh, during, during the, I'll yeah. call it the COVID season. 
mainly because I've had to um, really make some priority to our to new missions. And so new missions has a podcast, which is focused on helping you live life on mission. And so that podcast uh, is monthly. Actually, I just finished an episode on the power of volunteerism, uh, interviewed a team that came to our office in Orlando to serve. But my other two podcasts that I had been doing um, was on test tweak and repeat. It was a personal podcast on just my endless learning journey. I'll, I'll bring that back probably uh, start of the year. I'm just kind of hunkered down right now on some initiatives with new missions. And then the Katellis podcast was interviewing people, you know, sharing their best practices on, on helping you be the best you possible. Uh, one of my favorite interviews was the skydiver. You know, he, he jumped out of a plane 9,000 times and, you know, did a thousand base jumps off of mountains or buildings, which is insane. You know, so he's obviously been the best version of himself in that field. And we, I learned a lot from his story, you know, and I think that's, again, the goal in life, right? How can we learn from other people's stories? So I'll open up scripture and learn from the life of Joseph, no pun intended, right? Yeah. Or learn from the, you know, the life of Esther or Daniel. And so we, we learn through other people's stories and the way that they either made a decision or the way that they interact with people. Um, and I think also we're trying to gain the perspective of, you know, what if I were in that situation, you know, what, what did they do that I may be able to learn from? No, like, I think, yeah. I think that's right. On. I, that's one of the things for me personally, why I started this podcast. Yes. It, I know it will help others, but really it's, I want to learn like, and I feel like yeah. I can learn from a variety of people learn from different, you know, um, resources or, or different experiences right and i think whenever we stop learning i've heard it said the end is near <laughs> meaning mm, not necessarily yeah. like our uh, our life is over quote unquote but we're, we're gonna just be stunted you know because we can't mm -hmm. we can't grow uh past the point in which we're willing to be humble and teachable right and, and recognizing the value and growth and growth happens outside of our comfort zone yeah. And, and I've often said this, my greatest threat to my leadership or just who I am as a person is comfort. That's right. Um, you know, real, now I don't mind, you know, laying in the hammock to ponder, right? You know, I, I like yeah. to reflect. And, and even when I'm preparing a talk or a message, um, I, I actually like to lay down on the couch and let the, let the you know, the message simmer. But that's not the lazy effect. It's really the the, the journey of consuming that content internally. But my point is, is comfort becomes the enemy of growth, right? We're comfortable with whatever it is that we know our surroundings and we don't challenge ourselves. And, and we do learn outside of our comfort zone. So we do have to sometimes uh, put ourselves in a situation where we're listening to some voices we may not always, you know, be comfortable to listen to. Yeah, it's so good, man. It's so good. And I think it's important, you know, I know not everybody's here uh, listening is a, a follower of Jesus, but for from our perspective, for Tim and I, we we are always going to filter it through the kingdom of Jesus and his, and his kingship. So that's going to be the the foundational thing, and and mm -hmm. so that uh, that gives us the ability to to listen and to learn from others, while you know the the foundation, the bedrock of how we're going to process that is going to be right. integrated according to his ways, you know, like, cause really he's the greatest leader ever. So sure. <laughs> we're going to let and, him. and I think, and I think listening to a lot of voices and, and hearing some input from others, what I respect about that process, Joseph, is it helps me have greater empathy. Yeah. So true. I'm not trying to become the expert. I'm trying to better relate to people. Mm -hmm. So when I hear their story, 
then I can better understand their situation and maybe even help somebody else when I encounter that with them. Oh, it's so good. And I think you're right on like, cause I think relational value of listening to others, whether it's through a book or through a, a virtual learning or in person, um, I do think it allows us to, to empathize with what others are experiencing instead of trying to be like, Hey, nah, that can't be, that can't be right. Well, that's their experience. Like that's what they're sharing. They're sharing their experience and to be a learner and a student of them right, right. will do value and good to us as well, because it allows us to relate to other people even better. So good, Tim, grateful for, for those truths, man. And um, as we, as we think about what's going on currently in our culture mm -hmm. and in our world, you know, I, I think one of the things that I hear even with new missions and even the neighborhood initiative and, and being a good neighbor, man, I, I hear so much of bringing people together and you've done such a great job of, of pursuing that and growing mm -hmm. into that. And so I wanted to ask you, how do we overcome the us versus them mentality that plagues our country? And I don't expect you to have like all the answers. Here's the silver bullet, Joseph, but I did want to hear, you know, what, you know, what, you know, how we can do that, but also what are some of the obstacles that make it difficult for us to overcome this? Mm. Uh, first of all, I, I love this question. Um, it's not just profound, but it's a priority. And, mm -hmm. and I'll, and I'll kind of share with you first why I think it's hard to overcome. And I'm going to be very candid. It's hard to overcome because in every quadrant facet area of our lives, consumerism, spirituality, you know, relational, and then even education, there's an us versus them. Oh, you went to that school? Well, I went to this school, right? Or, oh, you drink Coke? Well, I drink Pepsi. Or, you know, you like Chick-fil-A? Well, I like McDonald's. You know, or, or you like Mac? Oh, I like PC. <laughs> so there's always been an us. Oh, Nike versus Reebok. Yeah, so yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're an Alabama Roll Tide fan or you're, you know, FSU. So there's always in culture and even in, in spirituality, you know, is my church versus that denomination, the Baptist versus the Methodist. So there's, you know, there's always in culture been this promotion of a binary thinking model yeah. and us versus them. So we, we have to start with the, with what I'll call the thesis. Hmm. The antithesis to that is, is this, is that we exist. We all coexist. As, as human beings, whether you believe what I believe or don't. And the antithesis to that is we have to discover life together and it's better and we're stronger. But first we have to understand it's not binary. It's not an either or or me versus them. And then socially where this is really powerful is that there's not one person that has all the resource, you know? So I think when we collaborate, we can overcome this brokenness of this me versus them or us versus them mindset. So like in my neighborhood, um, I'll use us as an example, you know, not all the neighbors got along or get along per se, but what we found as a common bond was we wanted our neighborhood to be safe and attractive. What that means is we want people to move here. Why? Because the more people that live here, you know, the stronger our neighborhood, there's more homes. But we want it to be safe. Who doesn't want to live in a safe neighborhood? Well, how do you promote safety and a sense of belonging? It comes from unity, right? And so I may disagree with somebody's beliefs or they may disagree with my beliefs, 
but we are still living on the same street. So at least we can get along to live together and have more of a collaborative mindset. But what that has done that's been really profound is I've seen relationships begin through little areas of common interest, right? So, you know, maybe, you know, politically you, you think differently or maybe spiritually you think differently, but, you know, one of my neighbors, we go for bike rides together. Mm. We have different maybe vantage points for beliefs, but we enjoy bike riding together. Mm. And I think that's been a great example in my life that it's not an us versus them unless we're going to think binary and then I'm going to isolate and I'm going to be like, Hey, if nobody believes what I believe I'm staying in my corner and you should believe what you believe and you go over there. I think that's the wrong approach. Yeah. And I think, I think as I, I look at that and one of the, the beauties of, of the book you wrote and even tell people about this neighborhood campaign thing. I mean, I, I want to, I'm, I'm having to draw it out because I don't, I know Tim doesn't want to come across <laughs> like braggadocious, but I know all the things because like, we've had so many conversations, but I think it's right. important for people even to hear kind of like, sure, you know, and I, and I think what's beautiful about Tim's story is first of all, Tim for a long time was focused so much on new missions that when he would come home, it was very difficult for him to make space and time and room and prioritize his neighborhood and his community. Right. And, you know, he talks about this very openly, but then he realized, wait a minute, like, I can't just be about the people over there. I got to be about the people who are right here too. Like I, right. and I got to see the, not only them as people, but also the value that they, they offer into my life and how we're going to really change the world is through these relationships with one another. Um, and so you, you really went through this journey, but tell us about this neighborhood initiative campaign website. Mm -hmm buttons, coffee mugs, all the things. All right, go for it, man. Yeah. So, so the, in, in kind of the long story short is, you know, I was traveling a lot. I'd come home and I was living, my wife and I were living in a, her childhood home and there was a pool in the backyard. So I would retreat to the pool and ignore my neighbors, you know, inviting a neighbor over was the last thing on my mind because I traveled so much. I was tired and just, you know, keep it to myself. Um, we moved to a, a neighborhood closer to her mom. And I thought when we were moving in, like, you know, maybe we could make it an impact and get to know our neighbors. And so we had to become very intentional, which really birthed this whole mindset of, you know, good neighbors make great neighborhoods. And then uh, I wrote out a, a good neighbor mindset, which is really all about introducing yourself to others. And you know, most importantly, understanding the fact that around your community, um, there are people that you need to invite, you know, cause we all get lonely and hungry. So why not invite someone to meet you for pizza or come over for a barbecue? Um, we would also celebrate one another. Like if there were birthdays or anniversaries or a neighbor got a new puppy, you know, we'd celebrate the new dog. Um, and then the awareness factor was part of the safety component, but we would stay aware as good neighbors. So, you know, if, if Jeff's going out of town, you know, Hey Jeff, I'll, I'll, pick up your mail or I'll, I'll drive over and check on the house or something. So we stay aware for one another, but then the biggest and the, and the highest level, the fifth level of a good neighbor mindset is being available. Mm -hmm. And the availability is really showing that you truly do care. And here, and here's the power of availability. Uh, Joseph and I are friends. You, you live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You could call me at 2 AM and the phone will ring and I would answer. I'm available to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so at the end of the day, my neighbors know I'm available. So if they text me or call me, I'm going to answer. They're like, you know, family. 
So by us just knowing that we're available for one another brings a high level of security and safety, but it also changes the reality when there is a problem. I had a neighbor next door. Uh, she was out of town, but her husband was home. And she called me and said, Tim, are you home? I said, yes, I am. She goes, good, because I'm out of town. You know, George was pressure washing and he got something in his eye. His vision is blurry. Can you go drive him to urgent care? So before calling 911, a neighbor was calling a neighbor. Why? Because I was available. Hmm. And so, you know, that's really where, you know, I've seen massive change in our community. You know, availability, awareness, celebrating one another, you know, inviting people to meals and then just introducing yourself and saying hello has nothing to do with your religion, your political bent, your race, your education, your income, anything. It just has to do with the fact that we live in the same neighborhood, period. Or, you know, we live in the same country. We live, you know, why can't we be that kind of good neighbor and make where we live better? Now I got a little preachy on that, but no, do it. Uh, no, I love it. Man. But like, so you started this from from this place. Like, this was yeah. really from his own experience, and then you launched this "Be a Good Neighbor Day," right? Uh, yeah. So tell tell us about that, man. Yeah. So, well, National Good Neighbor Day is September twenty eighth, and uh, Jimmy Carter made that proclamation. So it's an official day. It's not like Hot Dog Day. It's like a it's like a legitimate national day on September twenty eighth, and so. Um, starting in September, we'll start making more promo efforts on that. And what's exciting about it is just asking people to be a good neighbor, you know, invite neighbors over, go do something together, you know, make sure that somebody across the street has your contact info. You know, a big deal for us in our neighborhood is, you know, we text each other our cell phone number when we meet somebody so they know, hey, if you need something, you know, you can text me. And one thing about National Good Neighbor Day that I think is so critical is that all of us have the opportunity to make a difference on the street in which we live. You know, I may not be, you know, we all may not be able to fly to Haiti or the Dominican or some foreign country to make an impact, but why not make a difference in the community in which you live? And I think that's a common bond that we have is, you know, we're neighbors and I, I want to make where I live better. And I want my community and city and county and, and state to do well. And I think as much as we can advocate for that, uh, especially in a season now where there's so much division where, you know, hate and, you know, division has become more of the popular campaign, you know, and it's, it's unfortunately dividing communities. And I think we need to kind of refocus our attention on togetherness. And that begins by establishing, you know, the good neighbor mindset. I think that's so good, man. And so as we, as we think about that, I think even for us today, you know, how could we be, Make, making the choice to be the good neighbor that we wish we had, mm. you know, it starts with us, right? Like we often like, yeah. I wish my neighbor was this way. I wish this person was this way, but what about me? Like what, what, what could I do to take on those qualities? So if right. I want someone to be attentive or listening or asking, how are you? Why can't I do that? Like why I can do that today. Like even when you're at the grocery store, you'll be surprised when you ask the cashier, how are you doing? How's your day going? They're blown away by that. Or, or telling some people, especially in the COVID time, people that don't expect to hear this because they haven't heard a lot of this, whether you're at Target or at, uh, you know, a local restaurant or, or at a grocery store, telling them, hey, thank you for being on the front lines here. Thank right. you for being willing to, to be here. I know it's not fun to have all these constraints on top of an already stressful work environment. I really appreciate you doing that. I told someone that at Barnes & Noble recently. 
you thought I had written a check for like $10,000 and handed it to her. She's like, I'm going to tell my whole team that you said that. And this is not about me. It's just about recognizing. Sure. Like, I know what it's like to be in the leading through COVID. It's not fun. It's probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done. Racial unrest, the election. People are stressed out of their minds. You know, there's a right. lot of anxiety. And so why, why wait for her to, to come to me? Why don't I go to her? You know, or, or why, why, uh, why not, you know, be a person that sends that message, you know, or says hello to my neighbor or checks in. You know, this is a great opportunity for us to do that. And so as we think about resources around that, Tim, both on the, the, the being a neighbor and also new missions, can you mm -hmm. tell us about just where people can find more information about those things? Sure. Um, you can visit newmissions.org. That's newmissions.org. And uh, there's some news articles and updates on what's happening with our organization there. Um, you can visit bethegoodneighbor.com. And, you know, at bethegoodneighbor.com, it's the National Good Neighbor Day movement. And what's, what's really encouraging today, Joseph, is when you and I personally make a choice, and I think that's really where it begins, it's an intentionality to say, how can I help serve people around me? And when we make that good neighbor mindset choice, and even you know, I think about new missions, you know, we made a choice to go educate and raise up leaders. You know, it, it starts with that intention. And that's really where you and I can begin to live out the values that we believe. Because I think that's one thing the world is really, uh, I think, confused with these days. People speak loudly, but they act very silently, you know, so they can say something bold, but they may not be doing something brave. And, and I hope that we can be people that are, you know, truthfully um, brave in our love and bold in our generosity, because I want to be brave and loving the neighbor that some of my neighbors have said is not the likable person. But the reality is I'll raise my hand. There are days I'm, I'm not likable. You know, we've all had bad days, right? You know, you don't want somebody to talk to you. So, so we need to be, you know, brave in our love and then bold in our generosity. You know, I look at the history of new missions, you know, just being bold with, you know, giving to these families and these communities that, you know, will never pay you back, but they're on a track of absolute radical change. And then in our communities, like just paying the compliment to somebody for their frontline service is being so bold in your generosity or holding the door open for somebody, you know, or, or you may be, you know, checking out and you decide, you know what, I'm going to pay for the groceries for the person behind me or the coffee for the person that's coming up next in line. And when you're, when you're bold in that generosity and you're brave in that love, it totally radically transforms culture and communities. Because I think, go back to the us versus them, you know, I think that becomes contagious. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King said it best that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so when we're brave in our love and bold in our generosity, both of those forces together become contagious. And then we create the culture. We influence the, the movement. We influence the behavior because that's what people are attracted to. It's like, oh my gosh, that feels right. Yeah. That feels right. It's given with no judgment. It's given with no expectation of return. And that's how I want to love. And that's how I want to be generous. I want to love somebody with no judgment. And I want to be generous with no expectation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so good what you just said. Those are like tweetable comments. I'm like, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think too, like, I think it's good. Like, 
Uh, I think we are in a culture that speaks boldly, mm. but doesn't love bravely. That's one of the things you said. And right. I, I want to encourage us, you know, one of the ways that our words will have meaning and we'll have a voice to actually influence and use um, more effectively is when we love bravely. And that doesn't mean we don't need to speak, but our speaking, mm. our speaking without action just falls on deaf ears and it doesn't really change anything. Um, and there's a time to speak for sure, but let's make sure like our speaking is, is measured and um, matching our action. And then I love what you said too about you know, I don't, I want to, what do you say about the judgment and no expectations Say that one more time? I want to, I want to love with no judgment. Yeah, I want to, I want to love with no judgment and I want to give with no expectation oh. because if I love with no judgment, it's like, um, I'll use an example with my kids. I have two kids, you know, I, I, I love my kids. If they, if they, if they mess up or, or whatever happens, you know, I'm, I'm going to love them because I know that's going to help heal them. Right. And that's going to bring them comfort, but also, I see their potential, right? And so I, I love them with no judgment, but I want to also give without expectation. You know, if I, my dad taught me this, that you keep no record because God already does. So good. You know, so I don't need to keep a record like you owe me, you know, like I was going out to dinner one night with my mother-in-law and, and I, you know, for whatever reason, I decided to buy dinner because, you know, her husband's passed away and it's like, you know, you know, who, who's, who's showing her that affection? She doesn't need me to, financially do that for her but from an affection standpoint it was a very you know generous act but she said at the end oh i'll get next time i says you know my mother's there's no records you know you just you just give you know what i'm saying there's no i'm not keeping a ledger over here like okay well this person owes me and that person owows me because that was actually some of the teaching in the past there's a lot of this conversation of you know, the bank accounts where, you know, I make all these deposits that I can cash in. It's like, Hey, you know what? This person owes me some favors. You know, I've been, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. Yeah. And then Tim, I think that's so good too. I was going to say too, you're a big coffee fan as well, right? Mm -hmm. like you're a coffee man. Tell, tell us about your, your coffee <laughs> exploits, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so Joseph's opening up some of these side doors in my life. And, you know, I think if I can call it my, one of my favorite hobbies or, or fucking dom domain names. So I have, a, I have a trademark brand called drink coffee, love others. And part of that um, idea was again, a little bit of this mindset of, you know, where are the common places we gather and coffee shops, you know, is one of those places and I, and I love coffee. And so I, you know, I've been giving out these coffee mugs and pins and just encouraging people to drink coffee, love others. And, you know, where, where you and I live and exist, you know, how can we help influence culture? And I think, again, it comes back to, you know, loving without judgment and, and giving without expectation. And it's so not common because, you know, everybody's kind of into themselves or wanting some agenda and I guess really, if I did have an agenda, maybe this is it, is that people would actually want to live in harmony again. Um, it, I, I have to tell you, I grew up in Haiti, in the poorest country in our hemisphere. And some would look at the Haitian villagers as impoverished, but they were the richest people I've ever been around. And I've been in the home of very wealthy people, but in the village where I grew up, 
we, we, we shared life together. You know, we would go to the shoreline and help pull in the fishing nets together. And the Haitian word is ensemble, which means together. And, you know, literally we would walk to a Coke stand and sit down and, and drink a Coke together. You know, here we are promoting Coke now, you know, share Coke and a smile. But my point, my, my, my point is, is that there was togetherness. Um, there was a culture of, of ensemble. And I think I, I wish there was more of that, um, all this tension. And again, it, it's not about what you believe versus what I believe, or, you know, maybe even um, the mindset that somebody is out to judge me or convert me. It's this. I think that we lead first with love and we show people that we truly do care about them. God will do the rest of the repair work. You know what I'm saying? He's the master surgeon of our heart. He's, he's still working on my heart. You know, he's helping me daily in my walk and so in my life. And I think that we people, humans tend to think we're supposed to go fix one another. But I think if we just love one another and, and truly listen and care for one another, then God can do his part. You know what I'm saying? As we surrender to him and he'll fix the problem. But oftentimes we create the problems. <laughs> No, I think, I think you're, you're right on with that, man. I think it's so important for us to even just be looking at those. The thing I love about that, like, is looking for opportunities like that where coffee could be a, a point of connection. And it's not obviously mm -hmm. limited to coffee, uh, but it allows us to, to love people through sharing in something that we both enjoy and doing life with others. And I think, I think getting back to to the simplest things of, of sharing life with one another and walking mm. with each other instead of judging of the other's burdens, just lovingly right. letting, letting ourselves be available to, to, to step into those spaces and places. And I, I think it's really um, needed and important, especially in the time that we're living in now. And so Tim, as mm. we think about what you are doing with a variety of things, I want to just be uh, a champion. He didn't ask me to do this, by the way, all the things I've asked him uh, are questions I came with and anything about new missions. I'm the one who's uh, yeah. my wife and I who are personally advocating for that. I want to encourage you to go to their site and to see about sponsoring a child. There's also other opportunities that you could get involved in, whether that's you, your church, your local organization that you're leading, maybe it's just a neighborhood getting together uh, right. to provide um, uh, resourcing and, and really meeting specific tangible, you know, needs and opportunities that they have. Um, I want to encourage you to go visit the website and check that out. Really, really believe in what they're doing. Um, as you've heard me say that, and just want to encourage you to take some time to explore, to explore uh, the heart of new missions and what they're about. And even on the neighborhood side, because I think they translate so well together. It's, it's both mm -hmm. things. I think a lot of the lessons that I hear from Tim about being a good neighbor come from his time in Haiti. <laughs> like I think yeah, he's been able to translate those, those realities of like, okay, like why not do this here, you know? And, and really obviously there's a context. So Tim, if people want to connect with you, how can they do yeah. that? It's just my full name, timdetellus.com. And it's the same on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, Tim Detellis. And again, Joseph, I just love your, your passion and your vision for the Valley. I think truthfully, you know, it's a rare day when there are people like yourself that are trying to promote togetherness, unity, and love. And then also, I think as a local church leader, 
um, you have bridged the gap between a lot of different churches. It's not just, you know, us versus them again. And so I just want to thank you for your leadership and your passion uh, for, for where you serve. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the journey with you. Let's keep uh, on learning together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tim, thanks for those encouraging words. Thanks for being a friend who walks with me, leads the way in so many different, <laughs> so many different uh, perspectives and, and uh, really grateful for the work that you're doing there with new missions and, and beyond. So thanks for your friendship. I wanted to actually end our podcast by doing something a little different that I didn't tell you I was going to do, which uh, okay. I actually want to just pray a, a blessing over new missions. Thank Every you. Every time I get an opportunity uh, to pray with you, I want to do it, but also I want to do it uh, because I feel like right now organizations like new missions and um, just the people of Haiti and the Dominican Republic are, you know, sure. it, it, COVID affects different places in a different way. And it's not always the per se, the disease itself. Sometimes it's supply chain. Sometimes it's people right. who are going to fund, can't fund the way that they once were. It's all kinds right. of things that are going on. Is there anything specific I can be praying for right now? Um, specifically is just continued leaders, you know, right. Raising up leaders, you know, for us in all of our campuses, that's always job. Number one is identifying those leaders and empowering them. Uh, and then personally, you know, it's just navigating the season that we're in um, as a culture. And then also, you know, across our country, a lot of my travels and things have shifted in different methods, you know, that we just continue to stay steadfast. Yeah. How do you, by the way, and I know this is a bonus question about to ask. Anything. How do you identify leaders there? How, what is your... your... So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, a, it's an excellent question. Um, we, we typically identify leaders that are faithful in the little. So again, as I said, we start with an opportunity. So like Yagil, he started as a translator, you know, writing letters to children. And, and the analogy I use internally as our organization is the buoy effect. So I'm going to put a buoy halfway across the lake. It's opportunity one, but you have to swim halfway across the lake to, to reach the buoy. So I'm not going to bring the buoy to you. So the, you can give opportunity, but you can't give passion. So once we see you faithful and we see that passion, then we know we can trust you with more and then you remain teachable. And that's the long-term path of a leader is you, is you have passion and teachability um, because I, I can only give opportunity to my team members. I can't give them passion. You know, if I'm following up too much because they're not fulfilling, you know, the role, then I have to question their leadership. Um, and so that's a very common thread for us in Haiti and the Dominican is give an opportunity, follow the passion and then remain teachable. Oh, so good, man. Mm. So like you give the opportunity, they have to overcome any obstacle to, to get to that. Right. Like, yeah. And, and, and then you continue to feed well, that. And I'll, I'll make it very candid. Um, my father-in-law worked in the grocery store business. And there was a guy he mentored, but his first job he gave this man was to be a bagger at the grocery store. Now today he's a regional manager. Well, because my father mentored him and, and, and that man showed passion and continued learning and grew up the ranks with my father-in-law's mentoring. But most people want to start out as the regional manager. You know, you want to become, you know, X, Y, Z, but you don't want to go through, you know, ABC to get there, right? You want to get to the, you know, the finish line, but you don't want to start at the starting line. So good. And I think that is important too. Like, yes, it is about going through those opportunities, but look, 
don't yeah. look at anything beneath you, but to see it as a, a growing opportunity in a way that we can move forward. And who knows where the end is? I mean, we all have endless uh, possibility, but we also have limitations too. So one of the things this does is reveals to us, hey, what is my leadership threshold? Sure. Because we all are right. leaders, but we do have a threshold. You know, like right. it's not a it's not a knock on us. It's an understanding too. Not all of us should it's be a reality. Regional, not all of us should be the regional director of sales and marketing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever the role or title is. You know, not everybody should be the president of new missions. You know, not everybody should be. You know, you fill in the blank. Um, but there are things we can do because we all can be uh, leaders because we can all serve. It's just. Yeah discerning that so let me pray for you man and thank uh, you man. so grateful for you uh father i thank you so much for tim the gift that he is lord i thank you for new missions i thank you for uh, the work that is going on there and lord i, I do want to pray for the workers god and and when we talk about workers we're reminded of what you told us to pray you said the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few another way to say that the harvest is plentiful but the leaders are are few so pray to the lord the harvest mm -hmm. so right now we pray for leaders to be identified, Father, for them to walk through this process of opportunities, mentorship, and to discern exactly who should be aware and how to best utilize their giftings and their calling for your glory, God. And I just pray for continued resourcing, Lord, of new missions, Lord, both through leaders, through financial resourcing, through partnerships uh, that, that come through churches, people, organizations, Lord. I just pray that you would pour on your, your blessings upon them. And I pray for Tim, Lord, even just trying to navigate these new waters of this season of um, unrest, God, really it is hard. It's hard because you had one plan for 2020 and then all of a sudden speaking dates don't look like they once did and opportunities aren't the way they once were. But Lord, just pray for uh, just clarity of thought and, and wisdom. And I pray that you would give favor and provision to Tim, to New Missions, Father, to the, the people of Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and I pray, God, that you would bring us together, God. Bring us together as, as people, Father, who move away from us versus them to just us, God. I pray that we would, we would move in that direction, Lord, help us, Father. And I thank you for Tim leading the way and to being the man that he is and so grateful for his, his friendship and his example. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, love you, Joseph. Thank love you. Love you too, man. Thanks for being on. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 